Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Well, good morning, Epicos Church. Whether you're here at West Dallas or over in Sherman Park or over at Mayfair Road or perhaps even joining us online, we're glad you made the decision to worship with us today. And what a beautiful day God has given us. My goodness, it's early February, the sun is shining, the snow is melting, it really is beautiful outside. Now we're coming to the end of our series in Colossians, and so that beautiful video that introduces the message each week, that'll be the last time you hear it. But I'm sure there'll be a new one by next week, and uh, you're going to enjoy that as well. I just get so excited by our worship team and all the teams that serve at the different campuses and leading in worship. Wasn't that a great time of singing and praising God? I thought I'd hear an amen. Okay, maybe not. Next week, we're going to start a new series, uh, a little bit, perhaps in a way, a more practical series. Are you tired? Okay, you can raise your hand if you want. (laughs) You don't have to. But are you tired here this morning? You know, we talk about being tired. We often talk about being physically tired. But often we get spiritually tired as well. We get into a rut where we don't really feel like we're hearing from God or maybe that God is hearing from us. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to take some time looking at what it means to stop and to rest and to listen to God and allow him to speak to us even as we speak to him. So please plan on joining us for that. Well, today's the big day, the day the game of the game that's going to determine who the best team in the NFL is, right? Well, we hope you all know that you've been invited to this special party. You just heard a little bit about that from Laura, and you can uh, have a good time of uh, partying together during that. Now, I, I do realize most of you aren't going to take an interest because your team is not in the game. And you know, it doesn't matter whether your team finished with a record of eight wins, nine losses, with an aging, soon-to-be-retired quarterback... Or a team that finished 3-14 and with a young, talented quarterback with a great future ahead of him. It doesn't matter because neither team is in the game tonight. Now, having grown up on the south side of Chicago, my team loyalty has not changed. Despite the fact that uh, I'm spending most of my time in Wisconsin these days. But I know I'm not alone because... Some of you have come to me and confessed the fact that you really are a closet bear fan, even if you're living up here in Milwaukee. But this year, Super Bowl Sunday, it's it's just a game. And one of the things I enjoy about football is that it truly is a team game, a team sport. It's not an individual sport. Of course, every team has stars and even superstars, and sometimes that even changes from week to week, uh, depending on individuals' performances. But every player, regardless of the position they play, must play with excellence, using their particular skills as quarterback or center, defensive or offensive lineman, 
receiver, kicker, they all have to play well in order to have a chance at winning the game. Regardless of a player's individual skills, unless they play as a team, they won't be successful because football truly is a team sport. You know, I think the Apostle Paul had a similar view when it came to the body of Christ, especially when he wrote his letter to the church in Colossae. The fact that his letter has survived until today reminds us that he wasn't simply writing to one church, but to all believers everywhere throughout the ages. Paul saw the bigger picture of the church even in the infancy of local churches. He refers to the church as the body of Christ. And in chapter 1, verses 24 to 25 of Colossians, it says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, Paul realizes that his suffering in prison is for the sake of the body of Christ, that is, the church as a whole. Notice how he describes the body of Christ in more detail. He describes the church in this way in these verses. It has one body, of which Christ is the head. It has many members, different races, different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds. And each has a different role, a different function, the role that they play within the body of Christ. And we have differing spiritual gifts. He says, according to the grace given to us, so let us use them. When Paul wrote his letter to the believers in Colossae, he continued on that same theme to be focused, that he focused on when he wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus. And that is the importance of the local body of Christ living out the truth of God's word in everyday life at home, in the workplace, in in society in general. Now, during our study together, we've used the theme, the center of all things. And it comes from chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, when Christ is the center of all things, the body functions together as a community. Community happens when the members of the body use the gifts Christ has given them through the Holy Spirit, sometimes in visible ministry, and sometimes behind the scenes. Now, how many of you enjoy reading the credits at the end of a movie? You kind of linger in the theater to see not only who was in the movie, but who did the sound and the filming, and you know. No, I know, not very many. 
But do you realize how important the people listed in those credits are to the production that you've just spent the last two to three hours watching? We all focus on the, uh, the main actors reading the credits or the specific effects or perhaps even the music itself. But the movie doesn't just happen. <clears throat> Some require hundreds even thousands of people working behind the scenes using their unique talents and technology for many months, sometimes up to a year, and sometimes even longer. Now, some of you Black Panther Wakanda Forever fans might be surprised to know that one fight sequence in that movie took four months to film. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's incredible four months just to put together one scene. I look at the final verses of the book of Colossians, kind of like the end credits. They reveal to us the often unsung heroes of the early church because it takes a community of believers in the body of Christ working together using the gifts of the Holy Spirit to fulfill Christ's mission for the church. And as Pastor Tommy likes to say, there are no spare parts. Let's take a look at those who are included here in the end credits and, and see what Paul has to say about them and what we might learn from that. Now, first of all, remember the context. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel and for refusing to bow down to Caesar. He's finishing up his letter to the church in Colossae the letter that we've been studying together, a letter that begins this way, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Try to picture for a moment Paul's surroundings. In all likelihood, he was in a stone prison supported in part by timbers, with a small window perhaps to let in a little bit of light and maybe occasionally a breeze of air. His contact with outside people was rather limited. So the people he mentions having contact with are very precious to him. Despite his surroundings, he writes this beautiful letter that we've been studying. His focus is on Christ, who is at the center of all things regarding the gospel and the church. See, in Paul's mind, no one is, no, not one church is a one-man show. Every church is a team of people working together. In the body of Christ, believers use the spiritual gifts endowed by the Holy Spirit to carry out that mission of the church. And that's something that's easily forgotten, I think, in the church today, where individuals sometimes are celebrated more than the body itself. Paul's not out of contact with the outside world. Thanks to his faithful co workers, he was able to receive news from other places and send communications to other churches in the region. So, who are these faithful co workers? the people Paul mentions in this passage. Are they ministry superheroes? Are they gospel all-stars? Are they big fans of Paul and part of some club? No, not quite. 
Paul refers to them based on his relationship to them. And we can kind of group them into four basic categories. The first category would be men close to him while he was in prison. Then Jewish believers in the city, fellow workers in the church, and church leaders. Let's look at the first group, those close to him while he was in prison, verses 7 and 8. Tychicus will tell you of all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. So these are the messengers. We might call them the mailmen. They're the ones who brought the letter of Paul to the believers there in Colossae. Now, he uses three terms to describe the one person, Tychicus, somebody that is mentioned only here in the Bible. He calls him a beloved brother. He calls him a faithful minister and a fellow worker. Now, he's a brother in Christ who loves the Lord. And as a result of loving the Lord, he loves Paul. They're brothers together in Christ. He's a faithful minister. He ministered to Paul and and others there within the prison in a whole variety of ways. They were faithful in carrying out the work of the church while he was in chains. For example, Onesimus, who's referred to as one of you, because he was probably from Colossae and part of the church that Paul's addressing. And they would be responsible for not only carrying the message, but conveying personal greetings and answering questions that the church in Colossae might have. How is Paul doing? How's his health? Is he discouraged? Is he uh, making contact with other people? And they would then tell the rest of the story of everything that was going on there. Second group is men of the circumcision. Kind of an odd expression for us today, but they were Jewish believers within the city who he also had contact with. He mentions Aristarchus, who's also a fellow prisoner, greet you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him little parenthesis, and Jesus, who was called Justice. Now, these are the only men of the circumcision, he says, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So Aristarchus, fellow prisoner, he was in the trenches with Paul during his dark and dreary imprisonment and probably penned this particular letter. Justice was a surname. His real name was Jesus, which became a common name during the early days of the church and during that period of time. And so, like many other believers, what that name did, his name was changed to Justice. And then there's Mark, probably John Mark. Mark had a bit of history in his relationship to Paul. David Jeremiah writes, the fact that Paul mentions Mark, also called John Mark, even in passing, is a testimony to the healing nature of forgiveness and the power of second chance. 
Mark was the nephew of Barnabas, one of Paul's traveling companions. Barnabas had arranged for his nephew to accompany him and Paul on their first missionary journey. But John Mark abandoned them and returned to Jerusalem. Later, when Paul and Barnabas were planning a second journey, Barnabas wanted to again bring his nephew. However, John Mark's departure had left such a bad impression on Paul that he refused, and the two ultimately parted ways. But notice what Paul says now. If he comes to you, welcome him. In other words, he's been forgiven, and their fellowship is now restored, and they're now working together. Third group of people are the fellow workers in the church. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as done Demas. Quite a few names there. Some we know things about, others we don't. Epaphras who's one of you. Is he referring to him as a fellow Colossian or perhaps just as a Gentile? We don't really know, but he sends his greeting. And Paul simply refers to him as a servant, somebody who served the Lord and in serving the Lord also served Paul himself. But he also talks about him as a prayer warrior, someone who is struggling on your behalf in prayers. You know, the church really needs to have prayer warriors. It's kind of the silent ministry of the church. And oftentimes I have people say, you know, I really can't do anything because of this or that. I can't really serve within the church. What can I do? I always say, you can pray because all of your leaders and all those who are serving within the church need the support of other believers praying on their behalf. In order that they, uh, the reason why Epaphras was praying is that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He was a hard worker. He worked hard for those in both of those cities. Then there was Luke. The beloved physician, Luke, was an evangelist, a historian, a physician, a pastor, a ministry, a companion, a brother in Christ, and a theologian. As you probably know, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's interesting that we discover here that he was a physician. He never mentions it elsewhere. So it's only in this particular passage that we learn that. And so Paul sends his greetings. Think of all we would be missing if it weren't for the steadfastness of Luke. He played a very important role and perhaps a more visible role in the body of Christ. Now, Demas also sends his greetings. We don't know much about him. Perhaps he's somebody serving outside of the prison, but nevertheless, he has a role in Paul's life. The final category is that of church leaders. It says, give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry 
that you have received in the Lord. Who are these church leaders? Well, they are brothers in Christ in the city of Laodicea. If you've heard that name before, it's one of the churches listed in the book of Revelation that was at that time accused of being lukewarm. It was about 10 miles from Colossae. Now, not 10 miles as we think of 10 miles today. Not as easy to travel from one place to another. But nevertheless, they did exchange different letters and ideas with each other. And he says, have this letter written to, uh, read to them and also read the letter from them. Some speculate as the fact what that letter might be and some feel it's the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. Talks about Nympha and the church that meets in her home. Now remember that the church Paul was writing to did not have a building with a steeple or with large auditoriums and technology. They met in homes and that often included a wide range of people, most of whom we would probably call today seekers, people who wanted to know more about Jesus that they had heard about. Finally, Archippus. Paul has a special message for him, a message to persevere in his ministry despite Paul's absence. They probably were very close in ministry before. And he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Hang in there. Don't get discouraged. Keep pressing on. Again, David Jeremiah <clears throat> writes, <clears throat> the way Paul refers to his fellow workers speaks to his humility. He seems intent on demonstrating to the Colossians that his ministry was not a one-man show. That he was not the only one in chains for the sake of the gospel. And yet Paul's final greetings involve more than just giving credit where credit is due. He continued, Paul's also warned the Colossians to know that a person like Epaphras was working diligently on their behalf. He wanted them to understand that in the body of Christ, people use their gifts for the benefit of the entire body. He wanted them to understand that every spiritual gift and ability, whether it's evangelism, teaching, or in the case of Epaphras, communication and prayer, is essential to the life of the church. <clears throat> Paul closes his letter, <clears throat> verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, we know that Paul probably dictated most of the letter, but he wrote the end greeting himself to personalize it. And he asked them to remember his chains. Remember to pray for me that I might continue to be strong in the Lord and a source of strength to others. Think about that that I might be strong in the Lord and also a source of strength to others who are also suffering. And finally, he, be, he ends his letter like he began. In chapter one, verse two, he wrote, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now he ends it in verse 18, grace be with you. Grace was a popular theme of Paul and he was always humbled by God choosing him, a man who persecuted believers to bring the gospel to lost people. Think of Paul's missionary letters 
and his missionary journeys, the suffering that he faced, his near-death experiences that he endured. And yet, we never get a hint that he was bitter or discouraged. He was never reluctant to share his faith. Why? Because he knew that it was all by the grace of God. And that's true of us today. By God's grace, we are saved from our sin. By God's grace, we receive power to minister to others. And by God's grace, we are bound together in Jesus Christ to carry out his mission in community with one another. So what are some of the lessons we can learn from Colossians as we wrap up our study? Well, the first lesson is this. Christ is the head of the church and the center of all things. Go back to chapter 1, verse 15. Paul told us he's the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It's not up to us alone to fulfill the mission of the church because Christ is the head. And as a result, our second lesson, the body of Christ has been empowered to carry out his mission. Verse 20, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What do we learn from those verses? Well, believers in Christ are to be filled with the knowledge of his will. How do we do that? We need to spend time in his word. We need to interact with each other in his word so that we might fully understand not only who Christ is, but what he desires to do. We're also bearing fruit in every good work. God expects us to be using our spiritual gifts to bear fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. Increasing in knowledge of God. How do you suppose that happens? They just get a refill every morning or or how does that come from? No, they spend time in God's word. They study together as we are to do the same in order that we might increase in our knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power and endurance with patience and joy. Where does that power come from? 
from the Holy Spirit who indwells us and giving thanks to the Father for being qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. Because we have been delivered from from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Third lesson is that it takes a community of believers to carry out Christ's mission and everyone on the team is important. What Paul is teaching us in reference to these people in his life who are ministering to him and ministering on his behalf is that every believer has a role to play, visible or behind the scenes. As Paul reminded the believers in the city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, if we all had the same gifts, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So let's think of that in a more relevant sense. The quarterback cannot say to the lineman, get out of my way, I have no need for you. The kicker cannot say to the center, just put the ball on the ground, now take care of it from there. The quarterback cannot say to the receiver, just do what you want, I'm gonna run the ball. Unless, of course, the quarterback is Justin Fields, then you would prefer that he run the ball. But in football, there are no small or insignificant roles. Every player, every position has to execute the play as planned in order for them to be successful. And that's true of the church as well. You you can't say, I'm just a greeter. I just make the coffee. I just help out with the kids. I just regulate the sound. And they're very important, by the way, because they can turn the mic off. But... Uh, There are no small parts. There are no spare parts. There's no lesser roles. There's no insignificant people in the church. And that includes each and every one of us who are listening today. When I was a junior in high school, I was trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do with my life so I would know where I wanted to go to college, what I wanted to study. Our youth pastor, his name was Jack, He and I both played the saxophone and we would get together every once in a while and just kind of jam a bit. So I asked Jack one time for some help in deciding where I should go. And that led to quite a few lengthy discussions. One week, he asked if I had any ideas about the text that he was using during a weekly group youth meeting. Over several weeks, we continued that conversation and I began reading the book that he was using and studying for the series. 
After several weeks, he asked if I would lead the study sometime. And of course, I answered immediately, absolutely not. No way am I going to lead a study with my peers. I did not enjoy getting up in front of people. And I was still known as the kid who forgot his line in the Christmas play and ran off the stage when I was seven years old. But he finally convinced me to try. So I did. And you know what? I found out I not only enjoyed the study time, but also leading the discussions. A few weeks later, I was meeting with Jack, and he said, I think I know what you need to do. You need to apply for one year at least at a Christian college or a Bible college and see where God leads you next. So I did. And I often tell people that I went to Bible college to prove that I wasn't cut out for ministry. But it was there that God completely changed my perspective and my life. And God was calling me to serve in ways that I couldn't even imagine. That's true of all of us here today. Each one of us is chosen, gifted, empowered, enabled to serve in the church. Are you doing that today? Have you kind of been on the sidelines waiting for something to happen? Well, there's, that's kind of where this connection card comes into place. On the back side of the card, there's a box and there's several things that you can check, and one of them is serving on a team. In other words, step into the game. Find out where God might use you. We also have step into service opportunities a couple of times, about at least once a month, where you can find out more about what the opportunities are. You see, the community, the body of Christ is a community. We are a community sitting here today. And it's more than just a team, as we think of in sports. It's a community because our bond, what ties us together, is in Christ. He is the one who unites us. And our abilities come not from within, but from the Holy Spirit. It's more than simply a talent. And our goal is making disciples of all peoples. That's the joy of our new life in Christ. Whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you didn't just push us out into the world to accomplish a task that you had designed for us. We're thankful, Lord, for the body of Christ and for the community of believers working together that it takes in order to carry out your mission, to make disciples of all people. And Father, I pray that if there are some here in one of our congregations this morning, one of our campuses, uh, who needs that little extra push, that you would speak to their hearts, and they would begin to ask the question, where could I serve? What can I contribute to the ministry that God has called us to. Father, we ask for your continued blessing on us 
And even as we finish up this book, may our focus always be on Jesus Christ, the center of all things. Amen.